0: And gospel with Dr. Helissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Okay, Shabbat Shalom everybody. In James 1, 1. James or Yaakov, remember, he's the brother of Yeshua, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, that's deep. (laughs) <laughs> that is deep. But he's explaining to us his first commandment not to put any other gods on his face. Don't be double minded. Quit relying on human understanding and human imagination for our outcomes. And so now that I'm a little bit older, I have memorized that in 11th grade. It's so much deeper than when I originally memorized it. The first thing I notice now is that the letter is written specifically to disciples of Yeshua who were in the dispersion, not in Judea. So these believers are out there among the nations. They're not within that defined land of Israel itself. So emphasizing this, James, Yaakov, he describes them as being located in a place where the seas or the sea has contrary winds that toss the sea around. We've all seen high waves if we've been to the ocean. And he says, where you are out there in the dispersion is going to be like this. There's going to be a lot of wind, a lot of ruach. And what is ruach? Spirit in English. The sea is a metaphor for the nations in prophetic language. And so this tossing wind or this ruach, that can also refer to spiritual entities that rule them. Remember, there's angels of the four winds. There's also particular powers that have principalities, like the Prince of Persia. Each nation has its own assigned minister or spiritual entity that rules over it. And these rulers will remain in their places until, like in the book of Revelation, you can see that they start to to fall down. It says like uh, unripe figs shaken from a tree. Once the government is about to undergo a change and King Messiah is about to step up and rule, then these assigned rulers, I'm sure not all of them, you know, they're originally there for a reason, but certain ones, and I suspect the ones over the nations, I don't think that was their original job. I think originally that job was supposed to be performed by the 12 tribes of Israel who are priests to the nations, and they judge from the 12 gates of Jerusalem. I think the day will come when those spiritual entities will no longer be needed. They will be tumbled out of their places or shaken out of their places is what it says. And then at this point, Israel is ready to arise and take its place on behalf of King Messiah. The government will be on his shoulders and they will administer his will because we know his will is only the will of the father. He doesn't, he's not like us. He doesn't try to put a face on it. He says, not my will, but yours be done. He's been tested in that, and he made an A+. Okay, I don't always make an A+. But that's what we're striving for. So the Israel, the 12 tribes, they're out there among the nations. These nations are under the rule of particular assigned entities. And remember, we don't worship them. We don't turn to them. We're in Babylon, but we're not of Babylon. Our job, wherever we are, is to remember who Elohim is, and not put a face on it. Don't put anything in front of him. Learn his word, so we will not be tempted to put anything in front of him. And to say that these principalities and powers, and therefore the organizations that they influence, are somehow more powerful than Elohim. And over the last few years, I've seen even believers, when I hear them talk, or when I hear them worry out loud, it's as though they believe that somehow the health healthcare system is more powerful than the one that created them that a political party is more powerful than the elohim who created them that a military is more powerful and so on and we worry so much about these organizations of human imagination all of a sudden we have attributed more power to them and we, we put something in front of Elohim. And he says, now, wait a minute, <laughs> excuse me. Remember commandment number one? He says, turn to me, consult me first. Don't be troubled by all this stuff because yes, especially right before his coming, it's going to be like the surf of the sea. All of these winds are going to be contrary to one another because remember what does it say in the time of Noah, the evil, imagination of man's heart, the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually, right? So it's going to be like those days, everything that's come up with, there's going to be an evil element attached to it that we're going to have to evaluate. And we're going to get tired over and over. We're going to get so tired of trying to evaluate what's going on in the world so that we can remain faithful, not to them, but to the one who created us. And there's nothing in front of him. There's no face you can put on him. These things do not represent ultimate power. Name any organization on earth, they, none of them represent ultimate power. They're just simply like waves in the sea. They come in and they go out. They come in and they go out. They rise and they fall. They destroy, you rebuild, just like a hurricane. But he says for us, he says, this is a trial for us. And the point in letting us have this trial is to make us perfect and complete. Remember in in Song of Songs chapter four, we've been working with that text for a long time, where it talks about how Israel is without blemish. And we know this occurs at the resurrection, that she's made entirely perfect. And he says, the things that you're going through right now, that to you many times probably feel pointless. He says, something's happening. You're learning to trust him instead of the thing. You're learning to trust him instead of the person. Because what you have to realize as he exposes each of these systems, anybody that we've over-relied upon, anything we thought we could control, he says, I'm going to expose it. I'm going to show you its weakness so that you will turn back to me. I mean, that's the point of the tribulation, isn't it? To expose every system of the beast. And if we have over-relied on any of those things, If we have over relied on our own power and somehow tried to keep putting a face on Elohim and imposing our will on him, he says, I'm going to mess that up. (laughs) Uh, If it means wearing you out, yanking that mask off my face over and over and over until you accept me as your creator and the repository of perfect will for your life, I'll keep ripping it off until you get the message. He loves us enough to do that. And that's why we need endurance. He's making us perfect so that in the end, we will lean only on Him. We will understand the difference between being in Babylon and accepting everything, swallowing everything it offers us, and just knowing our body is there. But we're not driven like the surf of the sea with all the winds that run through Babylon. Instead, we have a single mind. There is nothing in front of Elohim. He doesn't need any of our masks. We have one wind that we report to, and that is the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Not all these other spirits. Those are not assigned to us. The Holy Spirit is assigned to us. So yes, we are in a place where the wind tosses, but we resort to Adonai. Because remember the seven spirits of Adonai? In Isaiah 11, 2, Bina, Itza, Gvura, Da'at, Yirat, Adonai. What is that? Wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, reverence. The first one is wisdom, Hochma. And so even though there's seven spirits listed, they're one. Remember, the it, you get the seven-branch menorah in Revelation, and Is we find out these are the seven spirits of Adonai. And then we also find it's the seven assemblies because the spirit of Adonai is in the seven assemblies. So the menorah is the seven spirits and the seven assemblies. Yes. Chokhmah, wisdom. He says, if you're lacking wisdom in this situation, ask of Adonai. Don't go to the organizations. Don't start your research there. If you need wisdom, ask him and he's going to give it to you. He says, you know, he gives it liberally. But you have to ask in faith. You have to believe that, you know what? If Adonai doesn't give me the answer I want, then I'll, you know, I'll go over here until I get the answer. Or I'll go over to this organization. I'll participate in this. I'll keep looking at all these other places until I get the answer I want. He says, no, you. that's double-minded. That's putting a face on it. That's trying to impose our will on him. He says, no, you consult me. And then I will give to you. But you have to believe that. So those seven spirits, they're all just manifestations of the one Ruach HaKodesh. It's describing characteristics of the Holy Spirit. It was just one piece of beaten gold when it started. And it was beaten into from that one central pillar. They beat out three branches over here and three over here. But it's one Holy Spirit. And so what James is doing, he's giving you an exhortation directly from the first commandment. There's only one Elohim. Believe it. Don't be double-minded, because if we're out here in this wind-tossed sea of the nations, then we're vulnerable. There's a lot of people who have made these spiritual powers into their gods by believing that they had some power independent of Elohim's will, that they would somehow act contrary to what Elohim wanted for them and do what they wanted. And now that we have progressed so far that, okay, maybe we don't believe in little figurines anymore what did we do? We created organizations, organizations, systems. And these things accomplish the same goals as those who were worshiping idols of their imagination from ancient times. There's none other, only Elohim. And James knew that out here in the nations, we would need this reminder. Don't absorb the nation's reliance on their systems. Always go back to your creator, Elohim, because an idol, it's inaccurate, it's pathetic, it's self-serving, it's a figment of human imagination, and it's just masks we try to put in front of Elohim, and we have to be reminded out here in the exile, among these tossed nations, that we always turn to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit of Elohim. He's one, one, one. There is none other. He meets all our needs in his time, not ours, in his quantity, not ours. And when we start trying to work the system apart from his perfect will in our lives, that's when we're being double-minded. And we'll be just like the Israelites. We'll fall into fear. We'll fall into uncertainty. And even though they stood right there next to the bridegroom and said, We will do and we will hear at Mount Sinai, there was still some double mindedness. You have to wonder did that when they said we will do and we will hear, did they really believe they could? Could they really do the yeses and not do the noes? Could they even believe the first commandment to believe that Elohim created all things and would provide all things? even to make them perfect at the resurrection. Was that so unbelievable that it would, they'd think they'd die that they sent Moses to talk directly to Adonai. And so he could relay the messages, but you know what? I can't judge them. That's just Monday morning quarterbacking because we get to read the end of the book. But don't we sometimes have trouble believing that he can make us perfect and complete without lacking anything? I doubt that a lot. (laughs) I've seen me. I know me. And it's really hard for me to believe what he says, that he can resurrect me to life. If I will believe him and put nothing else in front of him, that he can make me perfect he can resurrect me without a blemish. You know, we don't have any control over being in exile. We don't have any control over Babylon, but we do have control over sin. He gave us the simple answer. Don't sin. Don't partake of her sins. So before we could even get to the Ten Commandments, we have to believe two. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, yod heh is our Elohim. He's one. And so you shall love him with all your heart, your soul, your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. You notice how Yeshua gave him an order? There's nothing in front of him. Your neighbor is not in front of Elohim. Elohim, there's nothing in front of him. If we can accept that he is, and there is none other, in front of him, then we're prepared to love our neighbor too. He created everything behind him, including our neighbor. Remember, Ain od There's nothing beside him. If we can accept that, if we can get the heart right, then we can accept the Ten Commandments without dying. And then after that, we can learn the rest of the commandments. And you know what? We can become disciples even out here in the seas of the nations. So understanding who he is is the key to coming out of Babylon, to not over-relying on human systems, to remind us every day to evaluate whether any of those systems we're involved in is influencing us or coercing us to sin. If we feel that's the case, we need to go back to the word go back to the commandments, and they will provide an answer as to whether we are being double-minded. And then gradually, over time, we'll be like Peter. He will transform us. Peter had to go to his own cross. He had to stop living a double life and thinking with a double mind. He had to quit placing his mask on Elohim because he's like, no, Yeshua, you can't die. Right after he acknowledges Yeshua, oh, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And he's like, blessed are you, Shimon Bar Yonah. Flesh and blood is not revealed to to you. The spirit of God has revealed it to you. And then almost in the same breath, he's like, oh, no, you can't die, Yeshua. You can't do that. You can't go to a cross. He's like, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) You're an adversary right now. Because you know Yeshua didn't want to do that. He prayed he didn't have to do it. And then you've got Peter like, no, no you know what, when we surround ourselves with people that agree with us that that we don't want to do that, that we don't want to do, we talk ourselves out of doing the thing we don't want to do when that's exactly what we need to do. And so Yeshua had to be pretty strong with him, like, uh-uh, behind me. And what was he saying? Don't put a mask on me. Don't get ahead of me. Don't Don't get in front of Elohim. Elohim's will, he's about to judge his only son. His only begotten son, he is about to judge him on the cross, on our behalf. So he says, Peter, you got to get behind. If you try to get in front on this situation, you're going to mess up. And why would Peter say something like that? He loved Yeshua. And it worried him when he heard Yeshua talking like that. And Yeshua had been dropping little hints that this was going to happen. And so he's they've probably been worried about, you know, whispering among themselves, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? If he's the Messiah, he's the king. They were having trouble with timing. He had to be a suffering servant before he could return as the conquering king. The disciples wanted to put a mask on it. They wanted to get ahead of the purposes of Elohim and Start first as the conquering king and kind of toss the suffering servant part of it, by which we couldn't earn, some, you know, how could we approach Elohim? How could we approach the presence without the prophet like Moses to lead us out, to introduce us to the bridegroom, to introduce us to the that strong presence of Elohim? That being terrified, we would die because we weren't sure we could keep those commandments when we said we could. So when we're worried, like Peter and the other disciples were, when Yeshua started talking about death and giving up his life and being handed over to the Gentiles, that worry was evidence that the, yeah, the Ruach HaKodesh was still working on them because they were double-minded There was a voice whispering to them that says, you know what? You can't really trust Elohim's plan in this situation. (laughs) Elohim's right a lot, but he can't be right in this. He can't possibly want Yeshua crucified. He can't possibly want him handed over to the Romans. We just can't trust Elohim on this one, guys. Let's get out in front of it. Ra. we have to quit getting out in front of the creator We have to quit getting out in front of our provider, our healer, our protector. Hasn't he shown us that he's the only one who can resurrect us to life when our first worst fears come true? And you know what? Your worst fear, he might let it come true to show you even that's behind him. Death is behind him. He's life. Death can't get out in front of Yeshua. Death can't get in front of Elohim. It can't. It's behind them now. Yeshua knew that he would have to put death behind him. So that's the key to not being afraid, not worrying, not being tossed around out here in the nations with every wind, with every spirit. We have to really believe it and mean it when we say, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One mind, his mind. And in the end, what's our greatest fear? Probably death. But we don't have to fear. Ain od milvado. Death is not in front of him. There is no human being, no principality, no power, no human organization that can resurrect us from the dead to live in the presence of Elohim forever as a bride, only one can and will resurrect us with the power of his sinless life. With that sinless life, we have a liar who knows more than the law. He knows the judge. We have to believe that he is one and our doing is evidence of our believing. But Yeshua is going to bring us to perfection by the Holy Spirit, even if we're not entirely perfect when we die. And you know what? If we were entirely perfect when we died, would we really need Yeshua? (laughs) What would be the point? If we could do it under our own power, isn't that the whole point of the letter to the Romans? If you could do it under your own power, then he would leave you to do it. He said, go right ahead. Perfect yourself. But he knows, even when we partner with the Holy Spirit, even when we conform ourselves to the image of Yeshua, we're going to die leaving a few things imperfect and blemished because we're not the Messiah. We don't have the power of resurrection in ourselves, but we're depending upon Yeshua's sinless life to raise us sinless from the dead. Not the other way around. We don't resurrect Yeshua from the dead. The power of his spirit resurrects us. We have to get it right. Elohim first. The spirit of Elohim first. Yeshua is the living word. The word is the Torah. The word is the commandment. And the yeses and the noes of the Torah, they're life from the dead. So, Now that we know and understand that there's nothing on the face of Elohim, there's nothing ahead of him, he's the originator and the creator of all things, there's nothing in this world we could worry about that's more powerful than him or ahead of him. It's only in our human imagination that the economy is more powerful than the one who created us. That war is more powerful than the one who created us. That our family problems are more powerful than the one who created us. That a disease is more powerful than the one who created us. That politics is more power than the one who created us. You just fill in the blank. What are you worried about? What are you worried about right now? What's on your mind? What have you been brooding about all week? What looks hopeless to you? That's a double mind. But I got good news. He exposes our double minds so we can deal with it. Just like James writing the letter, he knew we'd have double minds. So he wrote us a letter a long time ago, about 2,000 years ago. Yeshua's brother wrote us a letter, knew we would be out in the dispersion. He knew we would be double-minded so that we could understand what was happening when we're worried when we're anxious, that we would stop, remember his letter, remember the commandment, don't be double-minded, don't put anything else in my face, because I'll rip it down. What is he doing? By reminding you that through your worry, you actually believe that that problem has more power, that it's somehow standing in front of Elohim. He's reminding you, Okay, now you've identified whatever it is, whatever double-mindedness you have, you've figured it out, and he's giving you a chance to move it. Whatever worry you have that is dividing your faith between Elohim and whatever it is you're worried about, He's opened the window for you to fix that. He's allowed it to come to your attention so you can fix that. He's imposing the imposter mind. We all have a fake mind. It's a double mind. That person worrying, though, that's not you. That's not you. It's just this man-made, you hear, image and imagination. It's just your imagination putting a distorted mask on your deliverer. And he's saying, okay, now that you know what you're worried about, I want you to have a single mind. And I want you to keep reminding yourself, however often, through whatever trial, through whatever test, when you feel yourself drifting into a state of worry and double-mindedness, remind yourself, Ein od mil There is nothing other than him. And if you keep reminding yourself that through every trial, don't give up on yourself. You say, I keep worrying. I keep going back to the same things and worrying. I'm not telling you it's going to happen overnight. I'm telling you every time it happens, every time it happens, he's removing a blemish. He's giving you the opportunity to say, "Oh man, I didn't see that pimple on my, on my belief." <laughs> Ready? Right? Just think of it that way. You've had a breakout. Ready? Right? You've had a breakout of worry. You've got some pimples there, and so he's saying, "Address that pimple." I'm showing you. There's a there's a little impurity here, and somehow in this situation. You've taken your worries and stuck it like a mask on my face, but I'm giving you the opportunity here. Take it off and understand no matter who you're worried about, no matter where your children are, no matter where your grandchildren are, take the mask off my face and give them to me. No matter what appears to be harming your body right now, whether it's disease Doesn't matter. I don't care what you've got. I don't care what your diagnosis is. I don't care what kind of medicine you're taking. If that's worrying you right now, take that mask off his face and let him be Elohim and just say, you know what? No matter what, the apostles couldn't heal themselves. They could heal other people, but they couldn't heal themselves. So That doesn't make me deficient if I can't muster enough faith to be healed. And I'm not going to dictate to Elohim the exact time and place he heals me. He might heal me five seconds from now, and he might heal me the moment I cross over. But I'm good because I, I give that over to his will. I'm not dictating my healing to him. I'm asking, definitely asking. He wants us to ask. Your job situation. You see, like, these people are never going to change. Don't worry. Don't worry. Ask him for the path. Is it to remain where you are? Or is he allowing you to experience some discomfort so he will move on to the place where he would rather have you right now? Are you hanging on to something too long? Because you've decided this is where you're going to be. Are you having conversations with him about money? Do you believe on on your menu, on the menu of your life right now? Do you need lots more money in your bank account? We could all probably use a lot more money in our bank accounts. But are you willing to turn that worry over to him and get it off his face and put it behind him? He owns everything. He created everything. It's all his. And sometimes we don't like how much he portions out because we look at, wow, he gave my brother and my sissy that much. And we start comparing ourselves to other people. Why are we comparing ourselves to anyone else? He loves you. It's not a comparative thing. It's what's on his menu for your life right now. How much has he decided you should be entrusted with right now? So don't worry. Does it mean you shouldn't do something? I mean, thou shalt not tip the Lord thy God, right? You you can't sit at the house and wait for a bunny to fall out of heaven. That's not what I'm saying. Get up and go to work. If you don't work, you don't eat is what the Bible says. right? Do something, whatever's within your ability. But maybe he's trying to get you refocused off the things you think you need onto the things he thinks you need. I don't know what's going on in your life. You and the Holy Spirit know. All I know. I can tell you with confidence about whatever the situation is in your life that didn't come with a commandment tag stapled to it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be easy? Like, please, (laughs) whatever my next test is, could you just staple a commandment there and I would know where to look? It's not that easy, but that keeps us seeking him. He wants us to go to him so that we won't get so you know, blown up in our own ability. What if you did know which commandment that was attached to? Solve that problem, move on. Look at me. Look how great I am. No. He leaves it open like that. So you're not really sure exactly what to do. What will you do? You will turn to him and say, Father, look, I, you got a commandment to do this. You got a commandment not to do this. And then you got through. I don't know what to do with these three commandments as it pertains to this one situation. Help me here. And he says, "I'm so glad you came to me. Instead of trying to put a face on me, so listen. If we will wait, what did James say? Go to him and ask for wisdom. And if you ask him for wisdom, he will give it to you. Wisdom doesn't always tell you what to do. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> wisdom is the the English translations of hokma, bina, and daat. They're like completely reversed." as to what they mean biblically. Chokhmah is just raw information. And everybody can have that. But if you want to move to Bina, which is understanding what to do with that information, you might have this this word like, okay, I've, I've got this real insight into this situation. Still didn't tell you what to do with the information. And so you keep seeking him. One Holy Spirit, one Holy Spirit, one Holy Spirit. Okay, you've given me wisdom. Now, give me the insight to begin to analyze that wisdom. Help me know how to put it together, or break it apart, reform it, whatever it is that needs to happen in my head. He says, Okay, I wanted you to come to me. He says, A wise woman builds Bana, her house. And then what happens eventually, as you go through that process, go first to him for wisdom, and then he'll say, Okay. Take me to the next step, Bina. Help me figure out how to understand it. She's okay. Let me work on you and I'll teach you how to think about the situation. And the second it's solved, you don't run off. You keep seeking him. You keep seeking. And eventually it develops into something called Da'at, which is the sixth spirit in Isaiah 11 2. And that's experiential. It's called knowledge in English. It's not. Information. It's the development from wisdom to understanding. And now it's, I've internalized it. It's become a part of me at that level of knowledge. Remember, Adam knew his wife and she conceived? It's experiential. And the more you walk with him, the more he's moving you to that place from just, okay, revealing the situation to you. Letting you see some things that maybe you didn't see before. And then giving you understanding, knowing what to do with the information. And then continuing to trust him and follow after him. Being a disciple. Don't just run off the second you get an answer or get relief. Keep seeking it. Like, Father, what did you want me to learn from this? And these are the people. Remember Yeshua said, depart from me. I never knew you. You did stuff in my name and I never knew you. What is it? It's experiential. You kept following me. You wanted to be like me. You wanted to conform yourself to my image instead of forcing me to conform to yours. Instead of you dictating to me how I intervene in your life, you followed after me and let me teach you. You let me be the teacher. And these are not people, he would say, depart from me, I never knew you. He would say, come on in. I've known you for a long time. I knew you. Before you saw me. That's the kind of relationship a disciple develops. There's a self-discipline involved in it. And it just has to start with that first commandment. Understand you can't put anything else in front of him. Doesn't mean we don't. It doesn't mean we don't do it pretty often. But it means we acknowledge that we keep going back to that first commandment and we keep trying to improve like Peter, Yeshua didn't give up on Peter. He could have many times. He did not give up on Peter. And eventually Peter figured it out. We will too. We will too. One little victory at a time. One little worry at a time. It's like, it's kind of gross, but (laughs) I can't think of a better illustration, right? I don't know if you guys have ever seen a diabetic ulcer. My stepfather had diabetes, and I would have to take him sometimes to the doctor because he would develop these ulcers on his foot. And it would have all this skin, like white, thick skin over the ulcer and I would watch the doctor would take this scalpel-like thing and he couldn't feel it. He would just start scraping that skin away with the scalpel. And I'm sitting there watching Think that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt. No, 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 no. Paring away, paring away. And then eventually he would get down and you would find where that ulcer was. But you would begin to see the pink skin. You would begin to see where blood was flowing in the flesh. and he'd get far enough down there and then he would start to feel it. like that didn't hurt. He would, I feel it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit has to do this to us sometimes, especially if we're chronic warriors because we think whatever we're worried about has more power the one who created us to actually experience it. He created you to go through that trial. And so what does he do? the Holy Spirit, if you'll just cooperate, sit there and let him do it. <laughs> He'll take that Holy Spirit scalpel and start getting rid of all the dead stuff, all the dead stuff, all the dead stuff. And finally it'll break through there and there'll be flesh, nice pink flesh with blood and the life is in the blood. You say, now I can feel it. Now I can feel it. Somehow I let callous skin get between me and believing that there's nothing other than Elohim. But if I'm willing to let him take that scalpel to me and get down to the flesh so that I can heal in that respect, that's what, you know, I I hope it's nothing more serious than a pimple. I hope it's not a diabetic ulcer in the the range of spiritual problems, but whatever your worry is right now, I'm just, you know, I'm praying right now. My eyes are open, but I'm praying for you right now, that whatever is in your heart, whatever's been on your heart, whatever has been heavy, heavy, in your heart. And I'll tell you right now, something very heavy in my heart since October 7th, especially. But I've seen a miracle this week that I worried about in the past and wondered if it could ever be fixed. I've seen a miracle, but I had to give it to him and kind of give up on myself, which is kind of what he's wanting us to do sometimes. Just give up on yourself because that mask doesn't fit me. It's just you and the way you think it should be fixed. But whatever that, that worry is, that makes you doubt a good outcome. I'm praying that, that in this coming week, still Shabbat here, but in this coming week, that whatever it takes, you know, from a squish to a scalpel, <laughs> I'm hoping it's nothing more than a little pinch but he could just give you a little ruach pinch and remind you he's still before everything else. Everything in your life, whatever you're worried about, just consciously make a choice. Give it to him. And you say, but I gave it to him and I, I still worried about it. I don't care how you feel. You've probably trained your feelings to worry about it. It's going to take him a while to untrain them to be worried about it, but you just, it starts with the choice. You decide that that relationship failure is not more powerful than Elohim. You decide that your bank account balance is not more powerful than the wealth of Elohim. You decide that your prodigals are not more powerful and the power of the one who can recover that prodigal. You just, whatever it is, you just make up your mind. There's nothing ahead of him. And you're not going to put a mask on him. You're not going to tell him he must fix this in a particular way, that you will trust him to address it in his way. And I think he'll answer you. He may not answer you in the moment, but I think just like with this week, problem that's been decades in the making. But I think he can comfort you and tell you there will be a day coming when what you thought couldn't happen or what you thought was inevitable, there's nothing inevitable from his perspective. He can intervene at a time we don't even suspect on his timetable, on his menu. And when we trust him, it's not giving up. Okay? That's not the same. It's not giving up. It's giving it over. And only in that sense is it giving up. You're not giving up on the situation. You're giving over the situation to him. You say, Father, this is what I've done so far. (laughs) This is all I got right here. This is everything. These are the good things I've invested in this situation. This is the worry that I've invested in this situation. These are all my ideas and imaginations in this situation. Here's the whole box. Bonnie Manning sent me a quote, something very similar that one time. Here's everything I got, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's all in this box. And so I'm handing it to you. It's for you to deal with. I trust you. I trust you. I believe you. I have faith in you. Take the whole box. Because I know when it comes back at the proper time, it's going to be perfect. The box didn't look so perfect with Yeshua hanging on a cross. But it looked pretty perfect a few days later. And imagine when Yeshua returns. When he resurrects us from the dead. How many perfect boxes are going to be opened up. And how we can see with his mind. Instead of trying to impose our mind impose our minds on him. So I don't know what happened today, guys. I don't usually, I'm not usually this passionate. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I do. Maybe I do. Um but thanks for joining me. This is the part where I wish we were zooming together so I could see your faces in the video. Um, but I, I don't know. For some reason I feel like right now you're very, very close that you're sitting at this table with me here in the kitchen slash dining room slash living room at the bluebird house um but yeah you it's gonna be okay and it's gonna be better than okay it's gonna be perfect it will be perfect ain odon i don't know if Ginny put that in Ginny, did you put that in the chat box for him i'll do it just in case And maybe I've just, you know, spent the last almost two hours now preaching to myself, but I hope some of you benefited. But I I just, I I feel his presence right now. That's why I wish you were sitting right here with me. I mean, I know you are in a sense, but I wish, what did they keep saying in those letters the apostles? We just so, we long to see your face. We long to see your face. And At this moment in our history, I do a lot of talking to people that I never get to see their faces. But on that day, on that resurrection day, I know we'll see one another face to face. And I'm sorry, I've just, I got to see Yeshua first if I possibly can, (laughs) and then I'll come see you, you know, (laughs) I'll I'll meet you at the Yafa Gate, okay? Let's just agree to meet at the Yafa Gate at Sukkot if we don't run into each other before then. But there's going to be a lot of people we want to meet, I know. But I'd just love for you to walk up to me, introduce yourself and say, hey, I was on that live stream, you know, on January 20th, 2024, and I got it. I got what you were saying. And um, I'm looking forward. I, I, I will not have seen you before you were perfect, but I will see you when we are all perfect. you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook and our YouTube channel.